Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley is in Portland, Oregon. Ryan, it's Thursday night, November 14th, 2019. It's about 8.20 on the West Coast. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing excellent. Uh, I don't know if I would say a dud of a Thursday night game, a low-scoring Thursday night game going on right now, but... I did just try a new chicken wing recipe, Michael, and it turned out pretty good. Yeah, I saw that on your Instagram story. Some spicy sauce. Did I see that? Yeah, so I basically did a, <laughs> a spicy peanut wing, um, nice. kind of like a Thai style. Uh -huh. um, and uh, it was a, a recipe from a friend of a friend and uh, very good. Basically like peanut butter, sesame oil, honey, uh, but then sriracha, a little chili powder, some red pepper flakes um, on, uh, on some smoked wings. It was delicious. How long do those wings smoke for on the Traeger? Not long. It's really more of a grilled wings, but because they're getting heated with smoke, it's about a 45-minute cook. Okay. So it's like it's like 30 minutes with a dry rub, then you toss the wings in the sauce, and then you put it on for like another 15 minutes for the sauce to kind of set and, and adhere to the, to the wings. Sounds delightful. Well, you mentioned the Thursday night game. Uh, I've got it on right here. The Browns just got a interception they're knocking on the door up 14 7 6 18 left the dog pounds smelling this one so uh well <laughs> the the game will probably end as we do our show uh but big weekend of football on tap i'm making a trip uh which we'll get into a yeah. little later but why don't you start us off with your good of the week uh my good of the week is going uh, in a little bit different direction than we usually talked about before, before but it feels like it's been maybe a little while but I'm going to the world in NASCAR, and uh, the the final race of the NASCAR season coming up this weekend at Homestead. Right. And uh, I, I'm excited about it because of the way that it's set up. You basically have you know the, the four top parties all in the final four. That's uh, Martin Truex, Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, and Kevin Harvick mm -hmm. making up the top four. And um, Denny Hamlin was in a uh, you need to win to get in scenario last weekend at uh, Arizona, I believe. Yeah, and, Phoenix. And he pulled it off. And uh, and and that alone, I'm just it's something that it's during football season. I wouldn't necessarily be paying a ton of attention to. Uh, all the playoff races, and, and full disclosure, I have a, a, a betting interest in Martin Truex this season, so um, I've been uh, closely following it from that aspect. But just in general, the drama's been really good at each of the various uh, cutoffs in the playoff. I really do enjoy the new format, the 16 to 12 to uh, 8 to 4, mm -hmm. and then crowning one champion this weekend after the race. Uh, the race to get to this point has been very good, and then the, the fact that you have probably the four best drivers in the sport, uh, save for maybe Joey Logano, who seems like uh, controversy is always following him around, just missed the top four. But uh, the yeah. four guys that are in there seem like the guys who belong, and uh, I'm excited for a hell of a race on Sunday. I mean, considering we we do have a full slate of NFL, I plan on being on my couch at noon and uh, and seeing how this thing goes down when they uh, the gentlemen start their engines. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up, because I agree with you. I think that the playoff format that they've come out with. I think this is the third year that they've done it. Maybe the fourth. I'm not sure. It's either the third or the fourth where they've had the 10-race chase, playoff chase, where they, as you said, it's three races, then they eliminate drivers, and then uh, on down the line to where we have the final four here for the final race. I think it's excellent. I think they've really done a good job with it. They've tweaked it a little bit each year. Um, 
it's really exciting the way they do it, and it's really an exciting. This race on Sunday is almost guaranteed to be exciting, just because of the format. Yeah. Um, and I think they they've got it dialed in about as well as they can. Now, I have watched as little of the chase and as little of this NASCAR season as I can remember watching in a long time. I just, I, I don't really have any reason. I'm just not that into it right now. I think that in mm-hmm. general, the sport is suffering. Um, the attendance is way down. The television numbers are actually a little bit up this year compared to last year. Um, you know, we've detailed what I feel like are the problems in the sport before, um, I'm just not that interested, but I agree with you. I think this weekend's race will be exciting. I ha- you know, I've been following it. I haven't watched much. I've tuned in. Like I watched maybe I don't know, five laps of the race last week and it wasn't the end of it and then I I came back to it to see the end and it was already over. I missed it cuz I was watching the uh Steelers Rams game. I'm just way more into the NFL than I am NASCAR right now, but I, I do think it's going to be fun. And this weekend, you know, if you're a sports fan, I think you got to watch it at least a little bit. I know not every sports fan out there, but it really will be a heck of a show that they put on down there in Homestead. So uh, good, 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 good of the week. The, the other note that I do think is sort of indicative of the larger overall problems in the sport is three of the four drivers all race for Joe Gibbs. So, uh, Truex, Hamlin, and Kyle Busch all race for Toyota, Joe Gibbs, Harvick's a Chevy. There's no Fords in the final four. Uh, I think that's a little weak, but I just think that's indicative of the, of the way the sport is, where you've really only got seven or eight drivers, I think, that have a legitimate chance to win this thing, even when the season begins. And I think that's part of the problem with the sport right now, is just... There's too many have too few haves and too many uh, too many have nots as far as the money goes and who legitimately has a chance to win as far as the equipment goes uh, e- even when the season starts in Daytona. Yeah, I think that it, you know it, it's an interesting I don't want to say push pull, but it's important in any sport I think to have kind of like the 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 guys or the teams that are, are essentially your your mantle or or the people. That, that everybody kind of flocks to your your superstars, your so to names. speak, or your yeah. your your marquee names, and whether that's a whether that's in a team sport or in an individual sport. But at the same time, you need to have enough to keep the rest of you know everybody else interested as well. And so I think that every sport deals with this, where some of the bottom dwellers, you wonder if they're ever going to pull out of it and, and what chance they they really have. But um, you know, I, I think that it you know Jimmy Johnson had such a stranglehold on on this whole cup series for a while i at least appreciate that i don't think there's a a a pre like a a given favorite going into this one and while it may be the same cast of characters in the top seven or eight like you mentioned it does feel to me at least like it's a little more open than it has been maybe say five years ago yeah i don't think that's the case actually i I think that no i really don't i don't i think that Again, the the. I mean, but five years ago, it was just a. It was it was Jimmy Johnson, and that well, was it, right? I mean, as far as it was, he won what ten how years many ago, champ- seven championships. He won seven championships, which is tied all time uh, with Richard Petty and Dale Earnhardt Sr. Um, but even when he was winning, it, it was different back then because the championship, the way they had it, was completely different. So I think it was easier to win the championship. 
back then just because of the points accumulation over the course of the season. And I think that's actually his dominance was one of the main reasons they changed the format to make it more open uh, to the rest of the cars. But now that they've done that, I think what you're seeing is is uh, it's, it's just a money game. And, and I think that a lot of these team owners don't have the money to compete, to win races, to eat, much less win championships. And you really only have, now that you've had some of the bigger stars retire recently, uh, guys like Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Sr., Carl Edwards, I mean, the list is getting longer almost every year now. I think a lot of these younger guys, guys like Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, they're starting to, uh, Kyle Larson's another, they, they, were, they are part of the big money teams, uh, but I don't think that their talent is uh, has advanced to the point where they can legitimately win a championship. They can certainly win a couple races, but I don't think that there's very few guys out there, aside from these four, I think there's Logano, uh, maybe Brad Keselowski, are the only six that I think legitimately have a chance to win a championship, uh, even really when the season began. So, All right, fair enough. Yeah, I, I just think the sport's in a bad place. I, I, I really do. But I don't want to take anything away from them because I think they're trying. They're trying new things. This, this format that they went with was a gamble, and I think it's paid off. But I think that they've got bigger problems than, the, than just that. I think it's a societal issue. Oh, I don't disagree there, yeah. Yeah, really, more than anything else. And when you turn on one of these races and the stands are three-quarters empty, I think it takes a lot out of it for me. And I think, I think a lot of people... Agreed. Ah, oh, Mason Rudolph just threw another interception. Uh, I just like, saw that. Yeah, looks like the Browns are That's going to do it. Yeah. Um, that okay. is going to do it. All right, let's move forward. I liked your good of the week. I like that we talked a little NASCAR. We hadn't talked NASCAR in a while. Um, I've got two goods of the week in review, and I've got a good week, uh, another good of the week in a preview. Um, my good, okay. of the, good of the week in a review here last weekend, I thought that we had the best college football game of the season so far on Saturday, and I think we saw the best NFL game of the year so far on Monday. Um, on the college side, LSU-Alabama, it lived up to the hype. LSU comes... Oh, I thought you were talking TCU-Baylor. Man, okay. No, nah, well, nah, I wasn't talking <laughs> TCU-Baylor, although the game in Waco on Saturday night between Baylor and OU should be a pretty good one. Um, but you had number one versus number two in the AP poll. You had number two versus number three in the CFP rankings. Uh, the Tigers of LSU and Joe Burrow overcome two in his bad ankle in Alabama, 46-41 in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Alabama got down by 20. They clawed their way back. Uh, you know, it was just an epic college football game. I give all credit to LSU and Joe Burrow and Ed Orgeron and that and that whole cast. I mean, uh, they had lost eight in a row to Alabama. That's well documented. I really felt like if you really want to boil it down, I mean, we can talk about anything here. There are a lot of factors. But if it, you boil it down to me, the game came down to, to the two turnovers by Tua and what LSU did with the ball uh, following those two turnovers. The first possession Agreed. of the game, uh, Alabama marches down the field. They're inside the 10. Tua's running to the end zone, and inexplicably, he just lost the ball. He wasn't touched. Um, we'll never know how much that ankle injury played a factor in that play. Uh, I suspect it played a factor. Uh, it was a terrible play by Tua, one I'm sure he would like to have back. 
And that was the first possession of the game. And when, when you see the game play out, Ryan, that was kind of the game right there. Because LSU goes down and scores and makes it 7 nothing. They get another field goal quickly to make it 10 nothing. And then, again, at, towards the end of the first half, Tua throws a bad interception. He didn't see the linebacker underneath. And then Alabama's, and I would contend that was the game, is that, is that interception and subsequent touchdown one. right before the half. Because I think that... You, even though they were clearly going in to score and the turnover was really bad and LSU capitalized on the first one, yeah. I think that, that you could have gone into half um, just running the ball. I mean, not, not that that's with that offense, not that's what you should have done, but the only thing you can't do is turn the ball over and turn it over in position to give them a, a short enough field to score again, which they did, and that was what – I mean – I felt like if they had just gone into half with the deficit that they had before that final touchdown, they're in a much different position. And I thought it was that second one that made the biggest difference. But it, you can make a case for either one. Yeah, I agree. And, and then, you know, the Alabama center gets a cheap shot penalty following that interception, which gave LSU great field position. They punch it in there and go into the half with a big lead. Uh, Tua tried to crawl his way, claw his way back, as did Alabama. You know, we, we talked about it going into the game. This Alabama defense is not where we're accustomed to seeing Alabama have. They're, they're two. They really played three middle linebackers in this game. The two starters are both true freshmen. The other one, Markel Benton, who actually played most of the game, has almost no experience. He hasn't played really all year. Uh, they were exposed by Burroughs' runs and the runs of uh, LSU's great running back, Clyde. Um, and so just, I don't know, it, it was a tough loss. I, I don't think it was a crushing loss. I think Alabama's still still sort of in the playoff picture, but it, it was a hell of a game. I mean, it was a hell of a college football game in an unbelievable atmosphere in Tuscaloosa. What do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, like, like I just kind of mentioned there, it seemed like it came down to those turnovers, and if you take those away, it's a – it's a different game, and, and clearly, I think it was the difference. And, and otherwise, they are really evenly matched teams. And uh, I was I was incredibly impressed, specifically with that little running back from LSU. I, I hadn't seen him much uh, this year, awesome. and and he was no, number twenty two. Uh, Edwards Hilaire, I think is his last name. And Clyde um, Edwards Hilaire. And uh, and and he was just he was electric. Uh, that kind of back of the football fingertips grab that he made. Uh, out in the flat was an absolutely crucial play. And then, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, obviously uh, not necessarily the most fleet of foot, but using his legs when he needed to. And people are saying things like, was that his Heisman moment? I don't think there was one play that you're like, yeah, yeah, Heisman there. But uh, they are uh, every bit as advertised. They're a new brand of LSU football that we haven't seen before with the way they're able to spread it out. And chuck it around, and uh, you know, I, I wish it were a scenario where we could see a rematch of these two teams in an SEC championship game, uh, because uh, they, they honestly Saturday was just a treat watching the two of them. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree with everything you said. It was a bitter loss, but you know, Alabama's had more than their fair share of winning, both over LSU and in general. So I can't be too upset about it. And then on Monday night, uh, your team, the Niners. Stage an awesome game uh, against the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, the Niners were the last undefeated team standing. It was a great game on Monday night, a really physical game. Uh, I, the Seahawks and Russell Wilson uncharacteristically turned it over a lot. 
I think the Niners were hampered by not having George Kittle, their great tight end, and then their top now top receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, went out with an injury um, basically as the first half ended. So I don't know really what it says about either team. I think it's very similar to Alabama and LSU, two really big rivals who don't like each other a lot at all. Uh, the home team was favored by six in both games and, and lost in great atmospheres. You know, I was really impressed by the Niners crowd. I think that they Agreed. Uh, traditionally in this new stadium have not had great crowds in that stadium but they had a mm-hmm. tremendous crowd uh, in that stadium uh, on Monday night. And it was a tough loss for them, a great win for Seattle, a really, really physical game. And I'm looking forward to when they play again in Seattle and maybe again uh, in the NFC playoffs. But I just thought uh, it was just start to finish. You know, Seattle wins on the last second field goal in overtime. You know, we could break it down, a ton of big plays, but just a great, great, great. NFL football game at Levi's Stadium on Monday night. Yeah, the atmosphere was without question, the at least based on watching on television, was without question the best it's been since that stadium opened. Uh, that place was rocking. The stadium itself doesn't offer a whole lot, but the fans really brought it. Um, it was a it was a great game. It had a lot of weird plays, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, a lot of turnovers, uh, a lot of clutch plays down the stretch from from both teams, and and I don't know that we really learned much more about either team than we already knew before. We knew the 49ers had a really good defense. We know that they're going to need Jimmy Garoppolo to win games for them down the stretch, which didn't, which didn't necessarily happen. He got close. Um, we know that Russell Wilson is always going to keep the Seahawks in games and, in fact, can often win games uh, by himself because of the way he is able to use his feet, uh, despite the fact he doesn't necessarily always have the best weapons around him. No. I think, though, we also saw that the Seahawks O-line is a problem for them and could be an Achilles heel. And uh, and I just I think that we saw that they're two elite football teams and uh, and it's going to be exciting to see where both of them are come week 17 when they play again, because uh, I got a feeling the division is going to be on the line. Yeah, you know, I know you're a Niners fan and you're probably not a huge fan of, of the Seahawks, but I, <laughs> I, I really like them, man. I. I just think that's amazing. I do, I do too. I, it's hard. It's hard to. I mean, and honestly, my biggest problem with the Seahawks for many years was Richard Sherman, and now he's on my team. And yeah. uh, still not the biggest Richard Sherman fan, but uh, he him leaving the Seahawks made the Seahawks themselves a lot more likable to me. And credit to him for for coming back off this Achilles injury. He's not what he once was, but he's pretty close, and he's he's, he's getting the job done. Yeah, he's a big time contributor to what's become one of the best defenses in the league. But on the other mm-hmm. side of the ball, you know, Seattle has lost not only Sherman, but they've lost Earl Thomas. They've lost almost everybody off of that vaunted Legion of Boom defense that won a Super Bowl and probably should have won another. And they've remade themselves in a hurry. I give a lot of credit to Pete Carroll and that staff and and their GM. And I mean, Russell Wilson. Man, say what you want. He's he's one of the most incredible quarterbacks I think in the history of the NFL. To do what he does, I mean, he doesn't really, he have the best quarterback rating in the history of the NFL? Does I think he? he might. I didn't know that. I, I think he might. Uh, with a certain oh, amount of I, games played, that, I will I will check I that. Okay, I just think he's awesome to watch, man. He's electric, uh, and like you said, he's had. So few good weapons around him. Either well, he had beast mode for a while, 
But outside of him, I mean, you know, these guys, I don't understand why they can't find some better receivers. Obviously, Doug Baldwin was really good for a while, but Doug Baldwin. Well, and they they tried by drafting DK Metcalf in the second round, and he may turn out to be that. Yeah. Um, Tyler Lockett, though, is uh, was 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 great scouting on their part. Yeah, um, and he, he was he out. Was a, he was he got hurt on Monday. Right, night he got too. hurt, but he but he's been a, a monster for oh, that, he's been that great. offense. Yeah, he's been great. Um, I just you know two two really good teams, and and give the Niners credit to this whole regime now with John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. It's really working out. It's really working so, out. I do have an update for you. Uh, the all-time leaders in passer rating in NFL history, uh-huh. number one, Aaron Rodgers, 103.1, and number two, Russell Wilson, 101.7. Interesting. Who's third? They're the only two quarterbacks. Uh, it, then it goes Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Surprisingly, fifth, Dak Prescott. Wow. Are you sure that's and then it current? goes. It is because then it's – in the sixth spot, it's Tony Romo, followed by Steve Young. Uh, number nine is Peyton Manning. Number 13 say, is Kurt Manning? Warner. Um, Joe Montana's 15. Chad where's, Pennington is 18. Where's Dan Marino? Uh, let's see. Danny Boy. Dan Marino, 33. He has that, an 86.4 quarterback rating all I'm time. really surprised at that. He threw a lot of interceptions, though. But, uh, that's got to be part of it. Yeah. All right. Great. Great Marino behind by Ryan you. Tannehill. <laughs> would you? Would you ever thought of all the Dolphins quarterbacks? Dan Marino would be behind Ryan Tannehill in anything. I, that I don't understand how they calculate <laughs> that. I'm starting to question this whole stat in general now. I think we probably should. Anyways, we should move on. Uh, all right. I'll just go quick. My good preview is I've got an early morning flight tomorrow. I'm flying down to, uh, well, I'm flying to Birmingham, but then we're driving about two hours to Starkville, Mississippi. I'm going to see Alabama play at Mississippi State. I've always wanted to go to this game. Yeah. Uh, really, really excited for it. Really looking forward to it. And it's going to be a quick trip, two nights, quick one turnaround, come back Sunday night. But I'm fired up to get down there to Starkville, uh, see the Tide play. I don't know if Tua's going to play. I hope he does. Uh, I just hope Alabama comes out and plays well. Uh, I thought it would be a little bit tougher ticket and a little bit better atmosphere. It seems like a lot of the Bulldog fans have kind of quit on their team. They're not happy with Joe Moorhead. Um, and I think a lot of the Alabama mm. fans who would have gone are, are you know, spoiled and down on Alabama. And I don't really understand why. Um, but so it looks like I'm going to have a, a much cheaper ticket than I was expecting, which is good. Well, that's good. Um, but you know, it's an 11 a.m. local kick, which kind of takes a little bit out of it, but we're going to have a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, that's my good preview of the week. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you just in that I always love going to uh, a new stadium, a new place to, to watch your team play. And I've been to some crap atmospheres before. When you're going to see your team, especially when they're good, um, it's always a good time to kind of be in a new environment, see a new tailgate scene, uh, meet some of the uh, the uber passionate fans uh, that that are coming to those games. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited for you, and uh, frankly, a little jealous. You're going to one of your team's uh, conference road games. I, I I'd like to hit a few more myself. Thank you. And we have a legitimate fight right now at, in Cleveland between the Steelers I, I, and Browns. I have this up. I, I've, I've had my phone propped in the corner uh, with uh, with the Monday night game. There, Yeah, there's some... Uh, I just saw some there's, picky. <laughs> Somebody threw a helmet. Yeah, there, there's a there little bit of a, a fracas going on. 
Yeah, there's there, there could be some suspensions from this. Wow. I think there will be. Wow. I haven't that's a, that was a real fracas. All right, let's move on. We are going to both share our bad and interesting. I'll let you start with the bad, but it's the story that came out of the Athletic earlier in the week where Mike Fires, who won a World Series with the Houston Astros in 2017, he was on the A's this year. Um, he basically put his name out there as a whistleblower and has said that the Astros, for a bulk of the season as into the playoffs and into the World Series, had a camera in center field. They had a monitor in the dugout where they could see the catcher's signs. They knew what a lot of the other team's signs were, and they were signaling to whoever was at bat for them if it was going to be an off-speed pitch or a fastball by banging a trash can in the dugout. Uh, That's my bat of the week. What are your thoughts on all of this, Ryan? My thoughts first are that I'm continuing to watch the footage of this brawl in Thursday Night Football. Miles Garrett took Mason Rudolph's helmet off of him and hit him over the head yeah. with it. Yeah. This is serious business. I it mean, reminds me, remember that Kyle Hurley play? I certainly do. It reminds me of that. You know what it reminds me? It's a combination, it's a combination of that and what was it, the... Uh, Miami, Florida international fight yes. where guys were swinging helmets at each other. Anyhow, uh, Man, I, yeah, I'll move back to baseball. But this is, this is pretty wild. Talking to each other about it. Tomlin is pissed. Miles and Garrett's going to get I mean, suspended. Yes, he is. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't do that. that My goodness. And I didn't see who kicked. There was a player who kicked another player on the ground. This is a wild. Well, so that's play. number. Here it is again. It's number fifty-three. It's one of the O linemen who which was defending pouncing, Rudolph once. One of the pouncing yeah, well, which would be forward. which would which would be par for the course for him. But and, yeah. um, anyhow, well, let's let's get back to the Astros. Let's talk about the maybe, cheating well, Strohs. This is really bad, and uh, you know I, I play. I I grew up playing baseball. Uh, for a long time, and uh, you know, obviously, never, never played at nearly an elite enough level that anyone even had cameras around us. But I, I can accept that stealing signs is part of the game. As far as if you can pick something up by watching a coach and the pattern of his signals, and, and have a way to uh, relay that to your own, um, your own teammates, that's one thing. To set up video equipment and transmission via earpiece uh, that is then essentially going through multiple parties before the first pitch to let them know off-speed versus fastball. And it sounds like by the various reports coming out, they they had a couple ways of doing this. Anything from the bullpen catcher and where he was standing with his arms up or arms down against the fence at home in right center field to banging in the dugout. Uh, before the pitch was on the way, I mean, this is this is pretty high level. Uh, the Astros have had have already had a pretty bad month. Besides wor- losing the World Series, the whole Brandon Taubman issue. Um, Thank God we uh, we signed Osuna. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm so effing happy we we signed Osuna. Yeah, that was. Uh, but basically, they just keep stepping in it. Now they're trying to throw under the bus two people who aren't with the organization anymore, but. When you consider all all the parties that are involved and all the all the players who are involved, most of which are still there, uh, this is a really bad look for from a, for a really likable franchise. And uh, 
I don't know what exactly the commissioner does about this. Um, I, I know that obviously people are talking draft picks, but uh, that doesn't probably seem like enough. I don't know that you can how you're supposed to punish them further other than fines, but uh, but this is really bad. I think it's really, really bad. Um, and I'm honestly surprised at, it seems like on Twitter at least, not that that's the be-all and end-all of public sentiment, but it seems like people aren't that upset about it, at least to me. And I'm not sure why, you know, I think it might have something to do with the fact that it seems like just in other parts of society, there's another scandal every single day, and we've gotten kind of numb to the scandals and, and just widespread problems in our in our world. But this is, in, in the world of baseball, I don't know, man. This is about as bad as it gets to, th- that I can ever remember. Obviously, I wasn't around in, what, 1918 or 1908 for the Black Sox scandal, um, but right. this is really bad. And, and honestly, that was that was the only thing I could think of, maybe in sports, that's as bad as this. Is and and I think the and the the other reason there's a parallel of the Black Sox is that regardless of which guys accepted the help or not, just like with the Black Sox, there were guys that were reportedly weren't part of the throwing of the World Series. Everyone associated with it's tainted now. Yeah, and and that's. Okay, so I think it's really bad. As far as what punishment is going to come down, I really have no idea. Um, But I think it's really bad because it strikes at the very integrity of the game. This breaks the written rules of baseball, which explicitly say you cannot use recording devices or artificial devices to steal signs. And it also goes against all of the unwritten rules of baseball, too, which, as you noted, uh, the unwritten rules for as long as the game's been around. I mean, I remember being in a little league and we would try to figure out, you know, how to steal signs. That's not what this is at all. No, not at all. This is blatant, uh, blatant systematic cheating. And it resulted in winning yes. a World Series. And they're too mm-hmm. good of a team. They've assembled too good of a team to stoop to this low. And it's just shocking to me that a, a couple things. It, it's shocking that all of these players and managers and front office people seem to have known about it and participated in it. And everybody seemed to be okay with it. That's shocking. And it's also shocking a little bit to me that none of the opponents knew what was going on. Uh, and didn't step forward and say something sooner. And that sort of leads me to believe, and and there's been whispers of this, that, quote-unquote, all the teams are doing this. And I don't believe that. I don't think all of the teams are doing this. I think that's a bit of a cop-out, honestly. Now, if this is a widespread Major League problem, you know, that's a huge problem, man. I I, I hope Mm -hmm. that it doesn't come to light that half or, or whatever, half or more of Major League Baseball teams have been doing something like this for a couple of years now. That would just be a terrible blow to a sport that I love. But even without that, I think this is a terrible blow to a sport that I love. I think it's really, 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 really bad. I really do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's and the other thing, too, is, and we, we've talked about this, is I'm not sure how how much baseball can really afford this right now. They're, they're losing fans as it is. And uh, you start losing the trust of your fans too, that the game might be rigged. Uh, that's a pretty bad look. They've been slipping to other sports for a while anyways. Totally. And now, now to ha- like I said before, like to have 
one of your preeminent teams that has some of the most notable and likable faces in the sport, both old and young, um, whether it's Altuve, Verlander, uh, Springer, you Cole. name it. There are a ton of ton, yeah, Cole. Yeah. Um, I, I only omitted him because he's going to be a free agent. But yeah, I mean, there there are so many guys that you're like that now you have to kind of look at sideways. And it, and it's it's bad for the it's not just bad for the Astros, it's bad for the game. It's horrible. It's horrible for the game. And we've detailed on this show many times all the 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 all the holes that Major League Baseball steps in. And I don't know where they go from here. I don't know what they do. You know, they're they're uh, having an investigation. I'm not really sure what that's going to turn up, but I guess I'm interested to see where it goes, but I I just wish this wasn't happening to be perfectly honest. So um, that's our bad of the week. We also have a similar or the same, I should say interesting of the week, uh, which is sort of a a two prong thing. Uh, James Wiseman, the, the heralded freshman at Memphis who plays for, uh, one of my favorite players in the NBA history, Penny Hardaway. It's so weird to see him mm-hmm. on the sideline now coaching his alma mater at Memphis. But he has been ruled ineligible for taking uh, just in excess of $11,000 from his head coach, for Penny Hardaway, to move from Nashville to Memphis when he was still in high school. And then a, a somewhat similar situation where the best defensive player in college football, Chase Young, the great defensive end for Ohio State, is going to sit out again this Saturday, now serving a two-game suspension uh, for taking money to fly his girlfriend to the Rose Bowl last year to see him play. Uh, Both, I think, strike at the heart of this ongoing amateurism debate, this ongoing NCAA debate about whether or not players should be paid or or not. I think it's all part of it. Um, What's your take as as this is both of our interesting of the week? Well, my... It's it's mixed because I think that in in both cases, what's going to end up happening is, and I know with the Chase Young thing, it's already kind of sorted itself out with, as far as what the punishment's going to be. Um, the, the the Wiseman thing is a little bit more, I guess, fluid yeah. right now as far as there maybe being some sort of injunction or, or reversal of what the current vision is about him now not playing the rest of the way, but. Um, I think the biggest issue here is that these guys wouldn't have to accept money if for the the things that they accepted money for if they could get paid for what they're doing in college. And uh, you know, a guy like Chase Young, who in part can help sell out a ninety thousand person Rose Bowl stadium, uh, should be able to have a have an, enough financial security to bring his loved ones to that very game that he's helping sell out. Uh, the 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 Wiseman thing is interesting uh, because I think it's a, a little bit different in that the the help of relocation that there shouldn't be anything prohibiting someone like Penny Hardaway from helping a family like James Wiseman's but at the same time uh, you know you let everybody in the sport be able to offer help like that and then it, where where do you draw the line and, and how do you uh, administer what people are are and aren't able to do but again this isn't an issue if you you can just pay guys for for the basketball or the football that they're going to play for your university. If you could pay them for their name, image, and likeness, a lot of this goes away. And and, and I think, unfortunately, what happened here is we're going to find out that both these programs or both these players they broke the rules. And it is, but but the problem I think is with the rules, and yeah. uh, that they, they wouldn't they wouldn't be in these situations 
feeling like they are just even having to choose between whether or not they're going to break the rules because the decision shouldn't have to be made about right or wrong here. If you are of enough importance to your university, they should be able to to reward you for what you're providing the, the money you're providing them with a little something in return. Yeah, these these situations are tied together in that you know, for the reasons you just stated and they sort of happen around the same time. The Wiseman one is different to me, Ryan, because it strikes at the very heart of competitive balance and sort of co- recruiting because uh, Penny Hardaway was this guy's AAU coach. Obviously, Wiseman has been a pretty big prospect now for the last three or four years. Everyone in the college basketball recruiting circles knew who he was. He's the presumptive number one or number two pick in this coming NBA draft. Um, he was in Nashville. Uh, he moved to Memphis so he could play for Penny Hardaway's AAU team. Then Penny Hardaway became his high school coach. Then Memphis went out and hired Penny in part because they thought he could bring James Wiseman to play for their team. Uh, Memphis basketball program has been way down now for a bunch of years. They used to be good. They've had several different runs. Obviously, Penny Hardaway was one of the best players to ever play there. Um, And I guess he gave a million dollars to the school back in, I think, in 2008. Um, So he's, he's termed a booster. But, you know... This relationship that Hardaway had, both as his coach and now we find out financially, um, allowed Memphis to get this player to come to their school. So I think that's in violation of the spirit of college athletics, honestly. like I would agree with that. You know, I, I just do. I don't think, see, and, and that's sort of the Pandora's box that I and many others have talked about opening when you have this new likeness rule that boosters are going to sort of be able to pay these guys whatever they want, and it's not really going to be for their likeness. It's more going to be to get them to come to play for their program. And I think that that is where things get real tricky and real dirty, and these types of things have been going on forever. So, you know... I don't know. I think that the Wiseman thing is different. Not to say what I, I would. I would agree. Yeah. To me, to me, that seems more. I don't know, severe or 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 maybe just unfair than the other circumstances. Unseemly, I think too. You know, it, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it strikes at the very heart of you know recruiting and competitive balance. And then the other interesting part of this, and there there are a bunch, is that Wiseman was ruled ineligible, and then Penny Hardaway said, screw it, we're going to play him anyway in Portland on, what, Tuesday night um, against your Oregon Ducks. And he, So I think, as far as I can tell, that was an unprecedented move by Penny Hardaway in Memphis to play a guy that the NCAA had already ruled to be un- ineligible. Then so he they played him basically one game, Actually, I think they played him the previous game to the Oregon game. They they played him two games after he had been ruled ineligible. Right. Then today, there was a court injunction. No, you know what? I, I think he had played the first two without knowing the ruling. It came down. They decided he'd play against... Well, that was the only one that he played where they knew he was in violation, I think. Gotcha. Um, so I listened to what Jay Billis said on all of this, and he said that there, there's a possibility 
that Wiseman will end up being suspended for a third of the season, which would amount to nine games, which is why Memphis decided to sit him And now. what's the rhyme or reason with that? I mean, who's deciding that that's what's appropriate right. for this? I, and I'm not saying it's not, but where does a third of the season even come from? Yeah, and, and you know, that, that gets me to my other point now. And the NCAA is completely toothless now. Like, they, they basically can't really do anything. I mean, case in point, you've got three major college basketball programs whose coaches all have been basically proven to have been paying players to come play there. I'm talking about Bill Self at Kansas, Will Wade at LSU, and Sean Miller at Arizona. I mean, five years ago, they would have all been fired. But here we are. They, none of them have been fired. Their fans don't even really seem to care anymore. And I just think that we've entered a completely new era here of college sports where these schools and these coaches are basically daring the NCAA to come out and do something. And they're just going to continue to turn a blind eye until the NCAA has any sort of teeth or repercussions or whatever you want to call it. And I think that that's really sort of the bigger story here is how the NCAA continues to lose sort of their foothold over policing all of this. I mean, it's been this way for a long time, but it, it continues to be a situation where the NCAA is less and less powerful against these big-time programs who are clearly out there breaking the rules left and right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the part of it that needs the most addressing is that it is how how we administer because I, I don't know the other thing is that this is happening everywhere and th these are just a couple people who've gotten caught sure. so there's there is no good way to police this seriously or sincerely because there is so much underbelly here there's so much happening under the table here uh, i thought what was going to be most interesting about it initially earlier in the week was when memphis and penny hardaway said well we don't really care what you said we're going to play them anyways well now they're actually going to hold them out of games uh moving forward but i i, I thought what might happen there for a second is they were going to call the bluff completely and say okay you want to vacate our season fine but we're going to play this kid all year and and we're going to make you look like the bad guy saying none of it counts. And I don't think we're far away from that happening um, because let, let's look at this a little bit differently, just in the, in the terms of Chase Young, which like you mentioned is a very different story, but they, he was, who did they play last weekend? They played uh, Maryland. someone, Maryland. Was it Maryland? It was Maryland. They, they put a 70 burger on Maryland. And then, and this weekend they play Rutgers. So right. those are the two two games he's going to be suspended for. Well, after that they've got Penn State and Michigan. Right. And if the schedule were flipped, yeah. And if the schedule were flipped, you think he would? The, I got a feeling Ryan Day and Ohio State figures out not a figures out. They just basically find a way to be confident enough to say, you know what? We don't think that we're we're getting this vacated, so we're just going to play the kid, and and maybe we will quote unquote find later on from an investigation that we got to sit him a couple games when those games don't matter. But I think we're very close to a point in time where the schools just don't really care what the NCAA says. I think we're already there. <laughs> you know, I really do. I think we're already there, and I think that we're just going to continue trending in that direction. And I don't know where this goes or where it ends, uh, but it's uh, – 
I don't know, man. It, it's just it's just crazy. It's just crazy to see. And in the case of college basketball, I think that for the first time they're realizing that if they don't start changing some of these rules, the best players just aren't going to go to college anymore. They're going to either go to the G League or they're going to do what LaMelo Ball's doing and play overseas. And you're just not going to have the same high-level college basketball that we've been accustomed to seeing here for the past hundred years or, or 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 whatever it is so you know as as the great bob dylan said the times they are a changing um but having said all that let's go in the book shall we <laughs> and we uh, shall and pick some college games you got any that stand out to you here you know what I'm, michael why don't you start i'm going to pull up these lines again because last week i did some prep before the show, and then I had a shit week. And the week, the two weeks before, when I didn't look at it at all, I did a little bit better. So, okay, I'm gonna pull this up right now and do this bad boy on the fly. Uh, tell me what you got. Okay, I, I like several games. I like, you know, the, this playoff picture is obviously coming into focus, and it, 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 at the center of that is your team, Oregon uh, and Utah in the Pac-12. They are obviously leading both of their divisions. They both are pretty big favorites this weekend at home. Utah plays uh, UCLA, they're favored by 21.5. And and Oregon hosts Arizona, they're favored by, uh, depending on where you look, 28, 27.5. Give me both underdogs. I think that both Oregon and Utah are, are in uncharted territory, particularly Utah. But really, all of the players and coaches at both of these programs are not used to the pressure of having to win every game and also be impressive in doing so, which is really where both Oregon and Utah are if they want to get into this playoff. So give me the underdog. I think both Oregon and Utah win. I don't think either. You know what? Right there. I'll just I'll, I'll stop you there. I, I'm with you on both those. I, I did know both of those spreads. UCLA is coming off a of bye. Uh, that spread is now at 21 and a half. I really like the hook there, even though it's in Utah for, for whatever reason. However, I'm not even sure how it happened, but UCLA has actually pulled their shit together a little bit. A little and, bit. uh, and like you said, I, I think not only are these teams and coaches in a little bit of an uncharted territory, I think they're just going to be happy to win these games with the PAC 12 specifically. It is not about style points at this point in time. It is, it, it is about just winning out. I think teams like Alabama, Clemson, uh, those are teams that maybe are going to go for style points and will have the opportunity to. I think if you're either Utah or Oregon, you think as long as you win out, you got a shot to get in. And I think that is what is going to be the of you know the highest importance, not necessarily the blowout factor. And you know I don't think Arizona is very good at all, but I think UCLA can give Utah some semblance of a game. And I think that Oregon, while they have the firepower to beat. Arizona by 28, I don't think they have the interest in doing so. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I like those two. And then there's two other lines that I would put under the category of smelly lines. Uh, one is Florida only being a six-and-a-half-point favorite at Missouri. It seems like they should be more, so give me Missouri. And the same goes for Iowa. Iowa is a three-point favorite at home against the undefeated Minnesota Gophers, who are coming off a big win at home against Penn State. It seems like Minnesota should be favored. Everyone's going to be on Minnesota, so give me Iowa minus three. I like those four. Um, I like a couple others kind of, but I really like those four. On the college. Okay, well, I like 
I do like both uh, UCLA getting 21.5 at Utah, and I like Arizona getting 27.5 at Oregon. Um, I also like the game that you're going to be at. I like Alabama, minus 17.5. This I know that we have quarterback concerns here, but Mississippi State is not good. Their quarterback especially has not been good. Their, their quarterback play at the position has not been good. I think that you can – I don't want to say count on, but I would not be surprised if you see a defensive touchdown from Alabama. Now, I do think that Alabama um, is not necessarily in need of the style points, but because of where they are, I don't see them taking off their foot off the gas um, after last week's loss. I think that uh, this line was right when it opened around 21 points, and now that it's not 17 and a half, I really like the Crimson Tide. So yeah. um, that's the only other one that I, I feel, I guess, really strongly about. I also uh, am leaning towards Michigan at home um, with the 13 and a half. Not necessarily so much because I think that Michigan's great. They haven't, you know, they, they've been a tough team to bet on this season. But I think Michigan State's really bad. I think that uh, Mark D'Antoni's time is, uh, or Mark D'Antonio, excuse me, his time is uh, is number i don't want to say his time his days are numbered at uh in east lansing and i think that jim harbaugh kind of needing to curry a little favor with his base still if he has the opportunity to uh to lay the wood to a rival he will so uh the fact that that's not two touchdowns yet i want i want to be on the michigan side i think all right all right over to the nfl side which i in full disclosure haven't spent a lot of time looking at but to me uh, there's two really good games. There's Houston going to Baltimore, and then there's New England going to Philadelphia. Uh, Baltimore is a four-point favorite at home. It feels like that should be a little bit higher. Um, I, everybody's enamored with Baltimore and Lamar Jackson, and with good reason. But Houston coming off the bye, obviously they're now without J.J. Watt, which is going to hurt them. But I would take Houston in the points. I would too. I am with you here. It's one of my favorite plays on the NFL board. Yeah. And then, I don't know. The New England-Philly game, I don't even know what to think there. Um, everybody's so down on the Bengals, obviously, with good reason. They haven't won a game. But that line, they're in, they're in Oakland. And that line opened at Oakland minus 8. It's now minus 11. I would be prone to take the Bengals there just because nobody's going to be betting on the Bengals at all. Um, I would be prone. I, I would lean towards them. And then another line that seems a little like it should be maybe a little higher is the Rams minus six and a half at home against Chicago. Chicago finally got a nice win at home, although they played the Lions without Matt Stafford. The Rams aren't very good uh, at all. Their golf looks horrible, but golf and the Rams are a better team at home. I would, I don't know. I just think it's too many points. I, I, I kind of like the Bears plus six and a half. Um, that's my NFL rundown here. <laughs> How do you see? Yeah, I, I can see that being uh, too many points in that Bears game as well. Though I, I don't really, I wouldn't feel good no, about laying six and a half with Mitch Trubisky. Um, I. Right now, that Dallas-Detroit line is is five, and Matt Stafford has broken bones in his back. If if Jeff Driscoll is starting that game and that's where that line is, I want to be on the Dallas side. And I, I feel like that's going to be the public side as well. It will but, be. Uh, I mean, but at the same time, if that's not a touchdown, 
I want the Cowboys. Um, and then uh, kind of moving down the list, I, I just I think this is a this is do or die time for the Colts after losing to the Dolphins. Now I don't know if they, they have it in them or not. Very but they injured. Sh- but I think they should get Jacoby Brissett back this week. Um, it's going to be Nick Foles' first week back. I, I, I would be a an indie lean there. Um, like you said, I like Houston this week. I, I also think that with the Niners coming off a short week and an emotional uh, loss to Seattle, I would not be surprised to see Arizona keep it close. They played them to a three-point game that San Francisco was frankly in control of most of the time earlier this season in Arizona, uh, but wouldn't be surprised to see um, the Niners win by three, four, or seven in that one. And then um, I guess that's about it. I mean, I, I, I the other these lines are all, I don't want to say fishy, but I, I don't know what to make of a lot of them, or maybe a lot of them are just right around where they should be. I agree with you on Arizona, except for the fact that uh, San Francisco open minus fourteen. It's been bet down to ten and a half. So that it, I don't. Yeah, I don't love betting with the way the market is moving. It, me yeah. either. Me either. Um, by the way, I'm watching Sports Center here, and this Miles Garrett swinging his helmet thing <laughs> is getting a lot of attention. I would imagine it will. What What is your prediction right now? How many games he gets? See, is he out the rest of the regular season? No, 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 no. Two game suspension. See, I, Two games suspension. I was thinking two or maybe three, but yeah. Yeah, that's what I predict. And Pouncey threw a punch, so he's going to probably get suspended at least a game. And a kick. Well. Oh, he, he's the he, one that he, kicked as well? I think he I think he tried to kick as well. Okay. Uh, I, at some point there, I turned it over to see the overtime of Pittsburgh and the Tar Heels, uh, which Pittsburgh won, by the way, for those who want to know. But um, Okay. Um, you got a wild card? Yeah, I will. Uh, I will preface this wild card with a a, a pet peeve of my. You know what? I will. I'll go. I'll go here. I have a pet peeve about service fees and ticketing in sports. Uh, it's it, it really could kind of transcend sports and go for travel prices, hotels, flights, whatever. Um, give me the damn price you advertise, and and don't and then don't tack something on and call it a either a service when there has not been any any service I've received or a convenience when it is in fact inconvenient to drain the bank account further. Um, I was going to go to that Oregon Memphis game that was in Portland this week yeah. and uh, then we found a deal that was like a, a four pack of tickets for a hundred bucks that included uh, that included you know I don't know, drinks and hot dogs or something like that. That wasn't really the point, but basically it was just 25 bucks to get into the game, which seemed uh, like a good deal. Well, that deal expired the, the like, I want to, I want to say 24, 36 hours before the actual game. And we didn't know that that was going to be the case. So uh, we didn't buy them then we were thinking, okay, well, we'll just walk up and buy whatever the cheapest ticket's going to be um, on Tuesday the day again. Cheapest ticket is 35 bucks online, so we're like, okay, that still seems decent, but to buy it online, there's an $11.50 service fee. So your $35, cents, or $35 excuse me, turns into $46.50, and all of a sudden, the price has nearly doubled to go to this game, and that's before you've spent anything uh, either to get there, to park, uh, on any, any, any beverages or food, because now you're not getting that family four-pack or, or whatever the hell that was. Um, buddy of mine calls the ticket office and they tell him that even if we walk up and we buy the tickets ourselves without any service other than just 
purchasing the tickets, it will still attach an $11.50 service fee. And so um, I am just, and mind you, this is a game that had a third deck that was roped off and, and completely vacant. So, it wasn't a great uh, crowd. It didn't appear so, on television. I get you wanting to essentially set the market and say, this is what this game is worth. This is what it costs to get in. But when you have empty seats, when you can create a better atmosphere and the cheapest that anybody can get in is 46 bucks and that, and, and, and 25% of that is a bogus service fee. Uh, that that's a problem. And, um, it's, you know, you, people talk about, and I haven't even been one of them, who have thought that you know the reason for some of the decline in attendance in sports is the cost? I mean, I'm someone who's paid um, upwards of you know 800 bucks to get into a national championship game, um, and and so I for the for the right opportunity, um, I will pay anything to see to see my team. But um, to go across town on a Tuesday night um, at, at six o'clock in rush hour and pay 50 bucks to see my team in an arena that wasn't um, even half sold out. Uh, that's not something I was about to do. And I would have gone and I probably would have bought stuff there, uh, if the price had been cheaper, but it wasn't. So I guess my wild card is as much of a gripe as anything else, but what, what are your pet peeves when it comes to sports or going to sporting events? Well, this is, this is chief among them. Um, it burns me to no end, whether it's sports or a concert. It, and, and I just think that, and I don't want to get off on a huge rant here. And, and we've talked about it uh, many times before, but I just think it's so indicative. This is just a microcosm for the way our society is. And and I think about, you know, I'm, I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. And I think about, you know, the, the airlines do this to you too. And they have for quite some time where, you know, it's a fee to check your bag. It's a f- another fee to check two bags. You know, uh, some of these airlines like Frontier and Allegiant even now charge you to bring a carry-on bag onto the plane. It's just how our society is set up, where the powerful, you know, I say corporations, but for lack of a better word, but the powerful entities that hold the power are continually are doing more and more to take money out of the pocket of the public and the common man and the pain in the case of sports of the, the, the pain fan. And it's not just tickets, you know, it's the concession prices. I talked about it last week about going to the chase center for the first time, you know, beers are, you know, it used to be shocking that a beer at a game was $8. Well, now that beer is $14 or, or even $16 like it was at Dodger right. Stadium. And there just doesn't appear to be any end. And, you know, we talked about NASCAR at the beginning of the show. And NASCAR's biggest problem is the price of their tickets, Ryan. I mean, you can't get a, a, a face value ticket to any of these NASCAR races for under 100 bucks, And, you know, you talk about taking a family of four, and then they charge you with parking and, and again, concessions. And a lot of these arenas or, or stadiums don't allow you to bring food or drinks in anymore. I remember I, I took my son to the Warriors watch party, and they made me throw out his water bottle, not a plastic water bottle, but, you know, like his refillable water bottle that he takes to school my every God. year. I had to throw that out. It, you know, it was horrible. He still talks about how terrible it was. We brought in, we t- brought burritos so we wouldn't have to eat, you know, crappy cheese pizza and pay a ton of money for it. They made us throw that out as well. And this wasn't even a real game. This was just to watch a game on a big screen at the arena 
which was a great time. But, you know, they, they want to, it's not, you know, you used to hear the term nickel and dime it. It's not nickel and diming it. It's 10 and $20 in the, all the time now. And I think that's my biggest pet peeve, honestly. And, and you see it even now with television. I mean, I haven't been able to watch the Red Zone all season because I can't even get the Red Zone if I wanted to pay for it with what I have. You know, I, I cut the cord. I've got YouTube TV. You can't get the Red Zone with YouTube TV. You neither either Sling or DirecTV Now, which is an inferior service to YouTube TV. But NFL cuts these deals to try to, you know, cordon it off to DirecTV. You know, everything that happens in, in our society that we live in, but particularly in sports, is basically trying to screw the fan. Like, teams and, 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 and television networks, the whole thing is basically set up to make the maximum amount of money possible. It's not enough just to be a billionaire, a billion-dollar entity. You know, they're, these, they're, you know, that's what we saw with China. They're trying to be trillion-dollar entities, and I talked about it last week with the sports gambling, you know, it's no longer enough to pay 10% for a bet. They want you to pay 15 or 20% for a bet. So it's just every corner you turn, the, the common fan is, is, is getting screwed. And then they wonder why the arena is half full. And I really yep. think that at some point, this is going to have to start turning around. I mean, you see it a little bit, you know, you see, Certain teams, you know, do a four-pack plan. You know, you get four games for 50 bucks or whatever it is. But those are like the worst college teams where nobody's going. But I think it's going to eventually hit pro sports because it's just gone too far. So you want to know what my pet peeve is? It's the whole thing. It's the whole screwing over of the common fan and trying to abuse your power to, to, to turn again your billion-dollar business into a trillion-dollar business. When is enough enough? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is. It, and I think what makes it worse is, is that, that it's, the, it's the nickel and diming portion of it where it's like it's, it's, the price is already high, and it's like you're, you're squeezing for that extra 5% or that extra 15% or whatever, and it's like, you said, when is enough enough? I mean, I, these people are already making money hand over fist. <laughs> They're already taking people's disposable income. I'm not saying that it should just be free for all of us to go drink beer and watch sports, but uh, no. it's gotten really crazy. And, and frankly, the you know, I never used to understand it when I was younger, but the idea now of just having some friends over for a little BYOB and everyone sit around the television and, uh, and enjoy each other's company – just sounds so much more appealing than going to most of these sports games now. And I wish that weren't the case. I, w I wish that what, that, that the de facto thing was, no, I've got to be there and, and I can because it's reasonable enough to do it. I love going to games. I'm getting on a plane at seven 20 in the morning to fly halfway across the country to go to a game. You know, I love going to a game. It's like my favorite thing in the world to do, but I'm right there with you. It's just, it, again, it's not just the tickets. It's the parking, the concessions. It's everything. They, they, they want to fee you to death on everything at every venue. It's not just pro. College is complicit in this, too. And, you know, and then they don't want to pay the players. So it's just the, the whole thing, it's, it's completely out of hand. And I think that fans are starting to come around to it. Um, 
and it's ridiculous. But I do want to end this and say one thing. When you had asked me what Miles Garrett's suspension was, I hadn't looked at Twitter. I have since. It's pretty bad. <laughs> People are pretty appalled yeah. by this. Um, Adam yeah. Schefter tweeted assault. Um, and a lot of people are saying there's no way Miles Garrett can play another game again this season. So I may have been a little light on my two-game suspension call. because As, as I saw one of our former colleagues uh, say, Fallon Smith asked, if this, had been, if this helmet had been swung at Tom Brady, what would the suspension be? Yeah. And I, I think that's a fair point. If you, I mean, just if it, because it's Mason Rudolph shouldn't change the fact that a guy took off a helmet and tried to club another man over the head with it. Uh, that's... You should treat this like you would any prized player and uh, and deal with this seriously. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's end on this. I've got a wild card for you as well. We haven't talked in the NBA yet. We're a little over 10 Ooh. games into the season. Uh, just what have, what stuck out to you so far in the early season of the NBA? Man, um, well, the, the two teams that I follow the most closely, the Warriors and the Blazers, are both bad. And... Mm-hmm. Not really close to being good at all. So, What's going on with the Blazers in three sentences or less? Uh, let's see. In three sentences or less, they uh, half the team is new. They they've they had a lot of turnover. They are uh, disjointed and lack chemistry. Uh, injuries are piling up, so they they don't have Zach Collins or Yusuf Nurkic. Stephen um, McCollum starts starts very slow. It seems like Damian Lillard and a whole bunch of other pieces that aren't working those pieces include Rodney Hood Kent Bazemore Anthony Tolliver they're not getting the job done they don't have depth and uh the West got better so they are four and eight and uh now now embarking on a six game road trip they might be uh they might be five and 13 by the time they come home man and the Warriors are worse but uh what what else but overall I mean I yeah I am uh but just takeaways in general. Uh, the Lakers are better than I thought they would be. I, I totally agree. Not that with I did. You. I did not think that they would be bad, but I didn't necessarily think it would come together the way it has so far. And there's a lot of season to go. But at nine and two, um, I didn't see him getting out to that start. I think that the Clippers are going to be good. I think the load management thing is going to be a constant conversation as Kawhi Leonard rested again tonight. He's not doing the back to back thing. Right now, um, it's that's a situation that you know I don't know if it needs to be addressed or people are really up in arms about. I don't blame the the franchises for trying to protect the chance their chances of winning a championship, which is really what the goal should be. But if if teams feel like they need to do this, then it's an indication they need to reduce the schedule. So honestly, my biggest takeaway from the season so far is is that this conversation is going to be massive by the end of the season as far as the league either needing to enact rules that more seriously prevents against it or about the league very seriously voting uh, to to reduce the games. But as far as the, the talent and the, the, the teams who are at, at the top right now, I haven't I really have not seen very much basketball in the East. I think that even though the record is good, the Rockets uh, – have been a little bit disjointed so far. I think they're they're still eight and three or nine and three, but um, it hasn't necessarily looked easy for them. They're still figuring it out. But the West again seems seems stacked, and uh, I'll probably have uh, a better idea come come Christmas time when I've had a little bit more time between the end of the college football regular season and uh, and the holidays to watch a little more NBA hoop. Yeah, I think we're we're together on this. Um, 
just a couple other, you know, the, the load management thing. Let, let's save that discussion for another show. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a huge issue. It's a huge story. And it strikes really at two of the topics we've talked about on this show. The integrity issue uh, that we talked about with the baseball. And also, you know, when you're, when you're charging your customers so much money to come see a game. And then they get to the game and the stars aren't even playing. That's a major problem. Um, so, but aside from that, I agree with you. The Lakers are much better than I expected them to be. I'm, I'm intrigued by the Harden Westbrook thing in Houston. Uh, Ja Morant, the rookie at Memphis appears to be a real star. And then two second year players that were actually traded for each other on draft night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luka Doncic with the Mavs and Trey Young with the Hawks are really, uh, coming into their own as sort of the next wave of superstars in this league. Trey Young is way better than I expected him to be. And and Luka Doncic yeah. looks like an MVP in the making. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fun. Uh, the Suns are a lot better than we expected, even without their number one overall pick from a year ago, DeAndre Ayton. Um, and the Knicks are still really, really bad. And... I guess those are primarily... Yes, they are. uh, Those are the main things that are sticking out to me. I mean, there's some other players here and there, but like you said, I haven't watched a ton of it. I have listened to quite a few podcasts. I've become a regular listener of Brian Windhorse's podcast, and Ryan Rossillo, who I love, uh, does a great job covering the NBA on his shows as well. So... But those are my main impressions of the NBA. But like you, I haven't watched a ton. I tried to watch the Warriors-Lakers last night. But the Warriors, I mean, good God, man. I mean, they are, you know, I did I did catch some of that game on Friday night where they took the, the T-Wolves to overtime. D'Angelo Russell went off. I mean, it's honestly surprising when they're even in a game at this point. Like, it's yeah. they, they are so decimated by injury, and you know what they're doing now with Curry's injury. They're clearly trying to lose as many games as they can without coming out and saying that, which they should be. They're, they're playing it exactly right. It's just impossible to watch. But um, yeah, those are my main impressions. Well, one other thing, I haven't the, the bit of the Warriors that I have watched. I've enjoyed Kalena Azabuki, our former colleague. I think he's doing a really nice job stepping in for Jim Barnett. It's not easy to do that. It's also not, you know he's never really uh, announced NBA games night in and night out before, and you know it's also not easy to have the play-by-play partner that he has, Bob Fitzgerald. But I think Kalena's doing a really, really good job from what I've heard so far. I was. I've only heard one game of theirs that was uh, on NBA TV um, up here, and uh, and I agree. He he sounded great. I, I wish I could hear a little bit more of it. Um, I loved uh, Jim Barnett and kind of um, just really his tenure with the Warriors. But excuse me, it was time. Okay. I think for a it was it was time for a change. And uh, and I, I think that uh, you know we we've both had the um, opportunity to work with Kalena, and he's he's a great dude, uh, loves basketball, and I think is a is a great de- decision and great hire. And yeah. uh, by all accounts, and based on the response I've seen on Twitter, it seems like he's being really well received. Uh, which no, can't he's doing a good be, job. He just be, like he needs said, to can't get... necessarily be said. A new partner. Yeah, exactly. He needs a new partner. He's <laughs> needed. I mean that that's a change that's been needed to make for fifteen years, and inexplicably it hasn't. But we'll end on that. Um, 
All right. Well, I'm looking forward to my trip. I'll recap it next week. We'll talk again on Tuesday. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Enjoy Starkville. See you, Stingray.